and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of the Republic of Mozambique and Priv Invest Shipbuilding. The citation for this case is 2023 UKSC 32. But before we begin this week, I would like to take a moment to dedicate this episode to Natalia the Defiant, who left a five-star review of the show on iTunes and said, Love this podcast. I'm a working mum and a full-time student. And this podcast is delivered in such a way that I can play it at any time and understand everything, even on my most hectic days. Thank you so much, Natalia, for those kind words and for your continued support. Now, let's have a look at this case, which looks at arbitration agreements and how those agreements link to court proceedings. The facts of the case date back to 2013, when three corporate vehicles owned by the Republic of Mozambique entered into supply contracts with Privinvest for the development of Mozambique's exclusive economic zone. The contracts are governed by Swiss law, and make provision for arbitration to be used in order to resolve disputes. At this point you might be wondering what this has to do with the UK. Well, the corporate vehicles borrowed the purchase funds from banks, and Mozambique granted sovereign guarantees for them. Those guarantees are governed by English law, and provide for dispute resolution in the courts of England and Wales. Trouble began when Mozambique accused Privinvest of bribing Mozambique officials and exposing the country to a potential liability of around $2 billion because of those guarantees. As such, the East African country brought claims in England and Wales, seeking damages because it entered into the guarantees. In response, Privinvest argued that the contracts had essentially been performed, and that the company provided valuable resources that the country squandered and sabotaged because of internal political disputes. Mozambique disagrees with that assessment, and while it is not a signatory to the contracts, Privinvest argued that it is still necessarily bound by the arbitration agreements, and so the company sought a stay of all of Mozambique's claims in the courts under Section 9 of the Arbitration Act 1996. That section says that a party to an arbitration agreement, like Privinvest, against whom legal proceedings are brought in respect of a matter, which would be referred to arbitration under the agreement, may apply to the court to have the proceedings stayed in respect of that matter. In those circumstances, the court must grant a stay unless the court is satisfied that the arbitration agreement is null and void, inoperative or incapable of being performed. One of the key questions for the court is what constitutes a matter for the purpose of the Arbitration Act. Mozambique were arguing that their claim in the courts was not a matter under the Act, and so could proceed. The High Court agreed with them, but the Court of Appeal found the other way. As such, Mozambique appealed to the Supreme Court, and that is where we pick things up. So, how exactly do we define a matter? Well, the justices began by noting that Section 9 of the Arbitration Act 1996 gives effect to Article 2.3 of the UN Convention on the Recognition and Enforcement of Foreign Arbitral Awards, 1958. As such, it is appropriate to examine the jurisprudence of other signatories to that convention when interpreting Section 9. 
Furthermore, English law does generally adopt what could be described as a pro-arbitration approach, and Section 9 should be interpreted in light of this. Taking all of this into account, the court identified the following factors as part of the definition. Firstly, the courts adopt a two-stage process when examining a potential matter. First, they have to identify the matters that the parties have raised in the court proceedings, and then secondly, they must determine whether those matters fall within the arbitration agreement. In essence, a judge or judges have to get to the substance of a dispute. Next, the justices found that the matter does not have to encompass the whole of the dispute between the parties. In other words, stays can be granted in respect of just a part of the proceedings. Another factor is that any matter has to be a substantial issue, and not something that is merely peripheral or tangential. The next test is one that actually involves the application of common sense. A court should be aware of the context around legal proceedings, and which claims a party chose to advance. Based on all of this, the Supreme Court unanimously found that by seeking damages based on the guarantees, Mozambique is asserting that it did not get value for the monetary obligations that it entered into. There is a real question about whether the contracts and the guarantees were obtained through bribery, and whether Privinvest had knowledge of this. Given the allegations, a court would not find it necessary to examine the validity of the contracts, and any defence that the contracts were valid would not affect the potential liability of Provinvest in the circumstances. The only impact it would have would be on the quantification of loss by Mozambique, but the Supreme Court could find no authority for claims being stayed purely in relation to the quantification of a claim. As such, the validity of the contract is not a matter for the purpose of Section 9 of the Arbitration Act 1996, and so Mozambique's appeal was successful. Now, I think when people look back on this case in maybe a few years' time, it will be seen as the opening act to a much bigger piece of litigation. With this decision, Mozambique can now sue Privinvest in the UK for that estimated $2 billion in what has become known as the Tuna Bond Scandal. That trial will actually now begin tomorrow, the 3rd of October 2023, in the High Court, and the scale is truly staggering. It is alleged that more than $130 million in bribes were paid by Privinvest and its French owner Iskandar Safa to Mozambican officials as well as staff from the banking firm Credit Suisse. In particular, the claim suggests that the bank ignored a number of significant red flags that allowed bankers to strike corrupt deals. Of course, Privinvest denies any wrongdoing, and claims that the only payments it made were legitimate investments or political campaign contributions. Meanwhile, Credit Suisse says that three former bankers, who have already pleaded guilty in the United States, hid their misconduct. Since the scandal came to light, Credit Suisse has already paid nearly half a billion dollars to US and British authorities to resolve bribery charges, and has promised to forgive around $200 million worth of the debt owed by Mozambique. The current case goes much further than this, but 
Despite the previous revelations, the proceedings in London will be far from a walk in the park for Mozambique. For its part, the East African country has failed to disclose documents which has threatened to derail the litigation entirely. Privinvest has also tried to entangle the president of Mozambique, Felipe Nayosi, into the litigation, and it was only a few weeks ago that the High Court confirmed that he had state immunity. As one of the poorest countries in the world takes on some of the most powerful private companies, this will surely be a case to keep our eyes on, but it will be important to also remember the importance of this decision in the Supreme Court. Without this judgment, the case would have been confined to arbitration behind closed doors. Instead, the serious allegations will be subject to open justice in a public forum. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. If you want to support the podcast, then one of the best things that you can do is leave a review just like Natalia did. It helps others to find the podcast and you can have a whole episode dedicated just to you. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!